0: I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I'm recording from, the Yagara and the Turrbal people, as the traditional custodians of Mianjin. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from. Just a heads up, the conversations in this podcast are definitely for adult ears only. There'll be explicit language, direct references to body parts and very non-PG sexual activities. The chats are robust, so steer clear if you're a sensitive listener or if there are kids
1: around. They started with a very simple question, how do you make a better sex toy? And it turned out to be not a technological problem. So it turned out to be a social, a social problem.
2: I'm usually allergic to um, big story questions getting answered with an orgasm. I I didn't want the big cathartic moment. Quiet middle-aged people just failing quietly in their own backyard, nothing to see here. And then all of a sudden you get the slap of, you know, oh wait a minute, they've got dildos.
0: You're listening to Erotic Stories, a companion podcast to SBS's provocative new TV show. You can catch it anytime on SBS On Demand. I'm Nadine Shmele, your host. We'll be unpacking the themes of each episode with real-life stories, unfiltered conversations, and behind-the-scenes tidbits. Join me and our delicious guests in a conversation about sex and sexuality, the ins, the outs, the fluids, the facts, and occasionally, we'll get a little steamy. Vibrators, dildos, dongs and sleeves. Mm -hmm. In this episode of Erotic Stories, we're talking about sex toys. Whatever yours is called, the Hammer, the Vlad the Impaler or the Bussy Blaster, we talk sex toys in fiction and in the real world with our guests. One of the writers on Erotic Stories, Christine Bartlett and Dr. Judith Glover, the first and perhaps the only person that we know of to get a PhD in sex toy design. We've all watched sex scenes on the telly before, but have you ever thought about what it's like to write something that'll be steamy on screen? Christine Bartlett is a highly sought-after writer for both film and television. She's co-creator, co-executive producer, and writer of the drama Five Bedrooms. She wrote six seasons of the TV show Offspring, and most recently was the writer on SBS's Erotic Stories episode, Philia. Thank you for being here, Christine.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Before
0: we get down to business, I should give a warning that if you haven't already watched the first episode of Erotic Stories, Philia, then you're going to hear some spoilers in this chat, so maybe go do that first. Can you describe to us briefly the story of Philia, the episode that you wrote and created for the series?
2: Yeah. My reaction to the idea of an erotic story, uh, my gut instinct was, yeah, it's not going to be sexy. <laughs> um, I want to <laughs> look at people who are not really having a lot of sex and uh, find something in that as a story base, just pick a world that feels real and put to people that are in a kind of a, a less sexual part of their life, you know, um, drop them into a sexual re- situation uh, that they would not have volunteered for <laughs> had, you know, there been other options on the table. Um, so there was a financial imperative. There was a, a reason that these characters had to do this very strange thing that they do. Um, that wasn't coming from a place of eroticism or it wasn't a sexy impulse. It was something that was very um, clinical and it was a job, basically. Just another job to get done.
0: So for those yet to watch it, this app has two platonic but close friends filling out a couple's sex toy for um, work purposes. <laughs>
2: um, in my head, these two people are, as you very rightly say, the best of mates and they've got a decades-long friendship and they're good people. They're 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 faithful to their relationships, but I do think that that's part of what's interesting about this predicament for them. That they come in like they're you know they're knocking up a bookshelf from IKEA. It's got all the sex appeal of finding the right. I don't even have the language for that. but whether it's screws and holes, whatever it is, they're doing things. They're putting furniture. Together.
0: There's ins and
2: outs. <laughs> exactly right, yeah. um, but. Yeah, I just, I think part of the fun of the tension is in that moment when it's so not sexy, it's anything but. It's so
0: beautiful, remembering the episode and, and that that feeling, that vibe, that excitement, but also the, a little bit of the taboo. It was so clever um, and I, you really loved the characters. I really felt for them and with them.
2: Yeah, I just liked the idea of there has Maybe always been a little spark between these two individuals. And the kind of main thrust of that connection is very much a mental one and an emotional one. It's kind of everything but sexual. You know, they are each other's fireside best friends, go tos. Mm. But in a way, I thought it was kind of more grave in a way for that to not threaten their relationships.
0: Do you think, Chris, that these kinds of storylines resonate with audiences more than the straight-up erotic stories that we could potentially see the I'm-going-to-seduce-you smouldering relationship kind of story? Do you think that this kind of more real story, that an audience could potentially identify
2: with that more? Um, I would never imagine myself to be able to give an answer about that. I think it's horses for courses and it's different. I I hope in my wildest dreams that it might be a bit of a, you know, you might hook into it thinking, oh, lovely, it's just too quiet, you know, quiet middle aged people just failing quietly in their own backyards. Nothing to see here. And then all of a sudden you get the slap of, you know, oh wait a minute. They've got dildos. Um, I think that's true. If that's a cheeky burn and gets someone thinking about maybe I should get myself one of those big boys, um, <laughs> that's great. But I certainly wouldn't imagine that it's um, a clearer pathway than hot young things doing hot young things.
0: <laughs> so what what research did you do,
2: Chris? What I googled sex toys for couples, and <laughs> found this. <laughs> This uh, couplet, these two, basically what you see in the episode, a vibrator, and I, don't, I still haven't got the language for it. The kids have a responsible name. I don't know what is it, it is. Is it a What's sleeve,
0: a, I believe? Sleeve. A sleeve. That's what it is.
2: Thank you. So we have the Audi and the Innie, and they're connected to an app, and it just basically I watched a video, which is the one that um, an Sam An instructional watched. guide? Instructional guide, bite sized easy to consume, no big words. Um, <laughs> kind of alarming, really, and and just promising you all of the things. And there were all, there were little um, automated people getting in and out of little automated beds, and it was terrific stuff. It just looked like child's yep. play, and it was. It just struck me that that's just not how my life works. You know, you don't plug things in and have them work. For the love of God, you've got power blackouts. You've got creatures eating through wires you've got you know interference running left right and center and that's really where I thought okay that's that's it that's it I've gotta I've gotta get these two friends to yeah put themselves in this ungodly situation but I did love that I, I was very allergic I'm usually allergic to um, big story questions getting answered with an orgasm I didn't want the big cathartic moments. The release. Of, oh, I remember that. That's terrific fun. Yes, I've rediscovered. Because it really wasn't about that. It wasn't about a drive to rediscover her sexuality. It was about a test of this friendship.
0: That's really beautiful for an erotic story to be about friendship rather than sex.
2: Oh, that's a very lovely way to put it. I, yeah, that's part of what I thought was fun about this stupid
0: you never. So your idea comes from a real-world story, from your story? It
2: does. From part of your story? Yes. We have not mutually masturbated. So I'm going to just put that flat out. I'm going to um, write
0: that down in the ledger. Have not <laughs> so masturbated that, together.
2: Not, no, not done that. It's a bit of um, very light Google research.
0: There was a toy, a sex toy in my research called the Vajankle. It's an oh ankle with a vagina God. on it.
2: But, <laughs> I just hang on, you've got to back me up get me I'm I'm gonna to need to just walk you through it again so it's a sex Which toy' bit's the so
0: vagina? it's just, it's just yep. a foot that has an it's ankle a with a sex toy on it okay. a, a vagina on it and it's called the vajankle. Oh so if anyone ever really uh, wants to fuck or penetrate a v- you know a vajankle, an that, ankle with a vagina on it, it
2: exists. you fucking can someone someone thought it. of it so hang on you're holding on to the foot if you're self-administering yeah, Is that what you're, you're holding it to. Yeah, so you're you're footing yourself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's all right. That was the weirdest sex toy. And
0: I don't want to yuck someone's yum, you know, like whatever works for you, my friend. Yeah. Like that's a toy. You're not hurting anyone. Fuck that ankle, my friend. But that was. (laughs) Personally lost their leg. But that was the most, uh, you know. That's fantastic. Did you come across anything like that? Anything like really no, crazy? No,
2: nothing as exciting as a foot. A
0: vaginal? Can uh, I get you to uh, say vaginal?
2: Because you know what? When well, you said vaginal, I went somewhere in my brain to cankles, Right. and I was wondering: Are we looking at a very, very older lady who's had a bit of atrophy, and it's actually just the real vagina just, a, oh, just hanging around the angle? It's, it's my well, future. Where I went. I can't, I can't. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to get that bad for anyone. <laughs> But it's a powerful image and it's a beautiful word. A janko. I'm working on it. I'm sorry I haven't got anything. um, Yeah, it was a pretty targeted search. No, no, that's
0: that's fine. I can, yeah, yeah, look, you knew what you were looking for. It was the couple's toy. You weren't looking to fuck any ankles. No, not this week. But as I say, nothing said in stone. Very open. (laughs) Um, What do you think is erotic? What makes something erotic?
2: Oh, Oh, that's, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? And it's not like it's a static answer. You know, it changes day by day, hour by hour. If you ask me right now for the last 15 years, it's unconsciousness. It's sleep. It's, um, you know, it's, um, I mean, the truth of what's really erotic, yeah, I, I have no idea, love. Erotic is just space and time and just, yeah, it's, it's, that's why I think I was so compelled to write about these poor middle-aged fools who were just adrift in their own life in terms of really servicing that part of themselves. And the language gets really tricky around here, doesn't it? But yeah, I don't necessarily mean self-servicing or Eve of that. I just mean that your relationship to yourself in the sexual arena is changed and challenged by kids as yeah. kids morph into antichrists and teenagers yeah. and it's hard bloody yakka you know it gets too hard it just gets put into the too hard basket and I guess that's my full circle (laughs) my idea of system. it's too hard yeah it's (laughs) it's something that the young kids are doing and I'm Mm. thank god let them get amongst it and all that
0: can I can I ask you in as you say middle age is there room for um, is there room, is there need, is there want for things like masturbation, using sex toys um, to self-pleasure, to release? Like what is your take on sex toys and technology and that kind of world?
2: Sure. Look, this is probably the least informed. I mean, anyone on the street could answer this better than me. Uh, look, I think it's terrific, love. I think it's bloody terrific. And you're talking to someone who took their mother out to buy a vibrator when I was 21 and... Um, so, you know, I'm all about it. and I
0: took my niece's vibrator shopping when they turned. Um, you know, and they were kind of legal and worried and kind of like, oh, what do I do? And I was like, well, let's go, baby.
2: Best uh, auntie ever. Oh.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we were close in age as well, so it was yeah, like, even better. this one's mine.
2: I prefer it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah. So it's fantastic. When, when I was with mum, we went to a Dodge because it was 8,000 years ago, Dodge Yell sex store in Smith Street in Collingwood, and this beautiful, helpful man lined up. Every different type for her, fantastic visual stuff. But just this line of dildos, just.
0: So, do you think of sex toys as a stopgap? You know, something to fill the void between intimacies. Yeah, look, I, I don't think so. No, I, I'm just thinking yeah. about myself. So, you know, I'm like, when have I most been in love with my sex toys, and totally. when have I, you know, I don't think them it's like, just yeah. about
2: alone time, or you know, as in a substitute for the real thing if you like you know I don't think it's necessary I yeah. think it's that but I think it's also you know it's it's whatever you want I don't I think it's uh, not inappropriate at all for people to introduce toys Good. into their sexual vernacular I just think it's horrifying yeah. for them to hear a 51 year old woman put that sentence together and say it out loud
0: <laughs> but I look at you and I think look at all you're doing look at who you are and all the amazing, like, that is so erotic to me. Maybe I'm hitting on you a little bit. Maybe hey, that's maybe,
2: maybe it's the best but... offer I've had for a long time. <laughs> uh, a you know trifle. what I mean? I
0: mean, you know, eroticism is this thing, isn't it? It's not just a...
2: Absolutely, love. And that's a beautiful segue back to the truth of this story and the truth of the intimacy. And, you know, it, that is a version of eroticism, the mental connection yeah. that people have. That's just another strand of it and um, and that is sexy and thankfully.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it's leisure. Really, really exciting. I can't wait to watch the episode again and, and to see how the
2: audiences react. Um, it's such a beautiful episode. I love that that connection between them at the end, the fragility of her moment going, have I finally fucked it? And knowing that they they can't fuck it. You can't fuck it up. You can't fuck it up. Duh. That's exactly what it is, and it's um, yeah, that part. You're absolutely right. It's very real, and very beautiful, and very sacred.
0: I want that on a mug now, so that I can. You can't fuck it up, just to, you know, <laughs> oh, or in a t-shirt. That. I um, love that. Exhale, bitch. Right. You can't fuck this up. You can't fuck it up. Uh, it's a really nice life motto. Is that maybe really one of your is. life mottos? Do you kind of just... Hell no! I could fuck anything <laughs> up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I do. Yeah, with really alarming frequency. Unfortunately, but it's it's a nice thing to be mindful of though. Yeah, yeah. you can't fuck it up.
0: Someone who's done the very opposite of fucking it up when it comes to sex toys is Dr. Judith Glover, an expert in researching sex aids and our relationship with them. Dr. Judith Glover is a lecturer in industrial design at RMIT in the Sexual Health Innovation Program. Her PhD thesis brought an industrial design perspective to the production of sex toys, focusing primarily on female-centric products, less porny. She founded and runs Goldfrau, a company that specialises in sex toys and established the first ever course in sex toy design at RMIT. I asked Judith to tell me how all this began.
1: I think when I first started to look at this 20 years ago and, and I went to, so uh, in the mid-90s, I was actually a blacksmith and I started using sex toys because I got this new partner and she pulled out on our first date she pulled out this sex toy and I remember it, it was a Doc Johnson six-inch donger or something. <laughs> yeah, it was like just your classic penis sleeve. And I was like, what, what the straight heck? or did it you have know, a vein? Yeah, it had veins. Was it? it was pink. It had veins. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? What? We're lesbians? What's going on? Anyway, I thought, well, I thought, well, I thought, look, you know, okay, we'll we'll just she was from the Gold Coast and I thought, well, we'll we'll go down there and we'll go to a sex shop. And well, I'll just buy a better sex toy, right? Because that's what you do—you buy a better something. And I went into this, and I just went into the down the Gold Coast into the sex shop. There were no better sex toys, <laughs> and and so I mean, and this was t- nearly thirty years ago. So there was yep. no better sex toys then. And I went, hang on, that's really interesting. Why are there no good sex toys? So, so I kept thinking, kept thinking, and I was like, right, I'm a maker. I'm going to make better sex toys. And probably if I'd been in business, I would have gone off and done an MBA or something. But because I was a maker, I went, I'm going to go be an industrial designer and learn product design. And I didn't tell them that when I turned up at university.
0: Ah, so you went and studied? Yeah.
1: I said, oh, I'm really into furniture. I really want to be a furniture maker. And they're like, oh, great, awesome. And you're a blacksmith, so you know how to make things. So in you come, right? And I didn't pull it out till fourth year because in those days we had a whole year to do a project. And they said, what do you want to do for your fourth year for your honours project? And I said, I want to start a sex toy company. And that caused a little bit of a fluster. So I got called to the head of department's office and he was like, really, do you have to? And I, and I didn't let him out of that office for an hour and a half because I had all the answers. I'd been thinking about it for years, right? So I said, And he's like, I said, look, you know, the, I don't want to make a big veiny donger. That's what you're worried about, isn't it? You know. So he eventually said, "Yeah, all right, okay." You know, and he let me do it. Anyway, that ended up turning into a PhD. That guy became one of my first supervisors, and he couldn't say the word dildo without giggling. And then he said he would go off to the deans' meetings with all the other deans, and they would giggle. He said, "I couldn't believe it. They're all in their bloody sixties. They're professors, and they would." They started to call our school. The Department of Dildo Design, <laughs> which I thought was great. I would have made t-shirts. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was great. It was great. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Oh, well. I've always said, look, vibrators—they're just products, right? Like, why has everybody got a big thing about them? You know, they're—they're they're actually vibrators are very technologically similar to an electric toothbrush, right? So you've got these big product design companies around the world make lots of, you know, RLB and your Philips and all this stuff. They make lots of uh, those sort of products. Why don't they make sex toys? They'd make a gazillion dollars, right? So that's part of the the kind of the social sexual taboos that exist. And that became a big part of what my PhD was about because I started with a very simple question, how do you make a better sex toy? And it turned out to be not a technological problem. So it turned out to be a social, a social problem around, particularly in the, in the West um, and, and other cultures, but I'll focus on the West because I'm Western, um, particularly around uh, our attitude to sexuality and our attitude to female sexuality in particular, or sexualities other than your sort of your white male porn, guy gets the erection, woman's always available kind of tropes. So to go back to how do, you, how do you design a better sex toy, it's not a, and the, the socio-sexual stuff, yeah, it's not a technological issue. I actually think sex toys have this opportunity to become therapeutic products. It's just that they're not designed uh, very well in general.
0: So are we talking sexually therapeutic products or like when I use my wand as a back massager when I've got that crick <laughs> in my neck and I like, wanna
1: because I absolutely do, but... Um, Oh, really? That's why you bought the wand? <laughs> Absolutely. I bought it for <laughs> masturbation purposes.
0: I'm like, look, this is my toy. I bought it. I posted it on Instagram. But then, um, yeah, I find myself using it for back massages because I'm aging. <laughs> um,
1: but it, is that the connection you're talking about or are there other, do you mean sexually therapeutic? Or- <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm more, we're in that conversation I was more targeting Probably the, the bits of the body physiology that relate to sexual functioning specifically. So for women, as you go into menopause and postmenopausal, um, I can't quite remember the stats, but it's, it's quite a lot of women lose um, sensation in the clitoris. Um, and so it becomes harder. So when you're younger, all you had to do is just put a finger there and bam, you had an orgasm and you were fine. And then as you get older, it becomes really, really difficult. Um, and that's a big problem with a lot of sex toys too. They're just sort of designed in these quite abstract ways um, and not what we would call an industrial design and user-centred design principles. So where you you take, you know, what's who's the person, what do they need, you map that out first and then you start looking at what are your layers of technology that you might need to build into that. That is a better way of designing. How do you bridge that divide between
0: functional and erotic like what you know there's this real I know it seems like a binary opposition but I know it is it shouldn't be how no but how do you make it seem erotic you know when you're talking about something you're talking about like
1: the functionality It goes in here and it does this and it's got to touch that And it's, well it's tricky right because what you find yeah. erotic is different to what I find erotic right so, and industrial designers, I mean, we think m- materials are sexy, so we're like, ooh, love that piece of concrete, love that bit of stainless steel, right? But for, for me, because I'm an industrial designer, I just love a piece of metal, right? So I'm going to find, I'm going to find, so when I did Golf Rau, um, I made quite simple ones that were white and black, just had a little bit of writing on the side that said Golf Rau, and I just started to work on overlaying some sort of decoration and ornamentation on them, mm. and that really worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did a thing like I went to all this trouble to, to, to you know, because they were porcelain, they then came in this leather wrap. And, you know, it's just sort of, and I just thought, cost more. And I probably didn't make anything out of the leather wrap. But I was like, no, they must come in the leather wrap because they're a really high end product. That sort of thing, like the ritualization of sexual practice is sexy.
0: Feeling, textural. I'm, I'm getting this understanding that for you, eroticism has a lot to do with how it feels, the leather. Potentially yeah. the same Yeah, materials. And sure. I think
1: that is true for, I mean, come on, I think that is true for if you think of as sex starts to go into the sort of the fetishization area, that's why people become like think You know, that's where fetishization goes, around materials, objects, shapes, their symbology, their meaning, that sort of stuff. So, And that's how we get to yeah. people like me rubbing themselves against brutalist architecture. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs>
0: You're at a dinner party, and you know, someone says, Judith, what do you do? What do you tell people about your job? Do you say, Oh, I'm an academic?
1: Yeah, do you say I make a Yeah, you go down I'm through a levels, vibrators. you go down through levels. You say, Oh, I'm an industrial design academic, and they're like, Oh, really? And you just, you know, because you, you are people interested, right? You know, like sometimes people are just being polite, they don't really care, or they just want to talk about themselves, and then they're like, and they're like, Oh, okay, that's really interesting. Like, what, what do you? And, look, I don't, I mean, I do other projects like in sustainability and health and stuff, so depending on the situation depends on which one I'll I'll say because I can easily say, oh, I do sustainability research and then people... How often do you say,
0: I work in sex stuff? Like, I make sex toys, (laughs) percentage-wise. What do you mean when I meet people, when I meet new people? Yeah, yeah, like, you know, I'm one of those people that would tell people straight away. Like, unless you're an elder in my what? community or something, you know, like an <laughs> old Arab grandma, I'm one of those people that would be like, guess what I make. Um,
1: so how often do you tell people? Um, well, again, I have to ascertain the situation. Um, I think most of the time I'd tell people if they were really interested and they were like, oh, okay, mm. like, and you thought, okay, they're not going lose it, to lose it or anything, then you would be like, well, yeah, I do this area called design and sexual health innovation, you know, and they're like, oh, what's that? What's the reaction? Is it like, ooh, oh, um, or are they excited or? Oh, most people are like, oh, Hmm. that's interesting. And then, you know, depending on how embarrassed they are, they might tell a a bad joke or something. Sure.
0: Have you told your partner's family?
1: Oh, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, no, totally. The funniest was was my parents doing a PhD because both my parents are, you know, they're very well educated and and of course, they're very proud. The daughter's doing a PhD, but then it's like, what? So they used to, they used to say it was in. They used to say I made, I made bilbies. It was in Toyotas, and like I was doing Toyotas, and I was making bilbies. <laughs> like I'm doing a PhD, like, but it's in bilbies. Um, so they kind of like, so they sort of were really proud. In the end, my mum actually read my PhD because I made her edit it, give it a final grammatical. So and she was like, "Oh, that's really interesting." Oh, I love that. Um, have people's reactions changed
0: over time? Like when you used to tell people right at the start of your PhD, you know, two thousand and six, four, whatever that was, when you started mm. your honours, mm. you know, mm. that was like when Sex in the City first said vibrator, right? Like it yes. was, that was like, yes. you
1: know, we'd never really yes. talked and I wrote about, about it that in the PhD. I yes. can imagine you I would did. have I wrote about that. I was there at the time. It was a big cultural moment, yeah, right? Yeah. It was a big cultural moment. And unfortunately, it may- everybody ran out and got rabbits, and rabbits are terrible. Terrible toys. Oh, they're terrible. Just yeah, it terrible make toys. Sense. How is that? Imagine if they'd picked my dildo and put that on Sex in the City. Jesus, we would all have orgasms and stop having to watch <laughs> Sex in the City.
0: Um yeah. So, I guess the broader question is what is the future? Um, is AI the future of sex toys? Is it remote? Are you going to be suddenly fucking this computer on the other side of the world um, that's kind of like, I intuitively guess you want me
1: to touch your clitoris? Um, is that where it's kind of going? Yeah, I mean, there will be, but like you say, and, and it comes up in that segment that you're talking about, you know, when, when the, the friends try and put the thing together to try and make it work, and it's so stupid. I mean, it's so bad, all that stuff is so badly designed. You know, and, Do you think it'll get you know, better? Um, I, it hasn't. Um, and, again, it takes – so whatever – so that it's these smaller, well-run companies that are doing the best mm-hmm. stuff and it's what they ever get into. But the problem is that they kind of also lack investment and then when you get investment – they try and make you do all the usual shit. And the main game for the porn industry was porn porn films, porn videos, whatever the technology of the time. And the porn industry loves to tell this like this story of, oh, we're so progressive, right? Because we pick up whatever technology comes along. And that's true, you know. But what happened was they just bought all their same kind of behaviours, beliefs, myths, tropes, old stories to the creation of sex toys and the marketing of sex toys. Do you think that's changed? Slowly, 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 you know, and I think, I think there's some interesting things happening uh, in the industry which kind of reflect broader technological trends out there, which is, so, you know, um, in terms of robotics, AI automation, that sort of stuff. So, you know, we already have the life-size silicon dolls that people can buy those companies are working yep. towards animating them more and more. Are you for or against that? Um I'm yeah, I'm not against it. Because I just mm-hmm. think there's some people out there that are probably better off just with one of those products. You know, sure, like yeah. and that's fine and do whatever you want. And you know, like mm-hmm. it's it's a robot. <laughs> yep. Do we do robots have feelings? No. So you know, um but uh I think the the underlying problem with the industry is that none of it's particularly designed very well, you know. So if we actually took went back to good user centered design principles and we designed from for whoever it was for, if that's the guy that wants the robot, that's fine. But if there's a woman over there and she wants something else, then you know what are those what are those principles and then what are the layers of technology? It t- tends to be that because the industry is driven by blokes. Um, and blokes in tech and tech industry are blokes and all this sort of stuff, it tends to be that the tech comes first. And, and a lot of products anyway are sort of uh, ideas that are looking for an application. Somebody's invented something. Oh, let's try and flog it in some way rather than is there a specific uh, need, need for something. So you should never design from we're going to take that technology and turn it into something. It's like what's the problem, what's the need
0: Look, my final, my absolute final question, um, what is the weirdest yep. thing you've heard of people using as a sex toy? Oh. My, mine is back in the day when we were teenagers, and this is something that, you know, I'm going to admit, um, we used to use an impulse. That was yes. the teenage yes. girl yes. thing. That was yes. the weirdest one that I'd used yep, or heard of right. using, depending on who's listening, Mum. <laughs> um <laughs>
1: Just the usual, no, just the usual weird stuff. I mean, the guys would just, you know, all sorts of stuff. But I think a lot of it was urban myth. I did live with a couple of boys that used to get into zucchinis, and they would roll under the bed, and then the mice plague would start, and all of that sort of stuff. So because they would forget about, forget about them. But yeah, no, um, no, I can't think of just the usual weird. Is that because nothing shocks you? Nothing shocks me. I just don't register when people get offended or or whatever about, about what I do. You know, because to me, I just think it should all be normalised. It's all just sex and sexual practice and it's all just which bit, which bit do you like. As long as it's consensual and people aren't hurting each other, then hey. Oh, well, unless that's like play. You're into that. Unless that's, unless that's consensual, S&M play, that's fine. But, you know, as long as it's all consensual and people aren't hurting each other, everything else, like it's just normal. Like it's just normal Sex, healthy, happy (laughs) sex. Thank you
0: so much for joining us today, Dr Judith. Um, We have loved having you on the podcast um, and we look forward to talking to you again. Been a pleasure. Thanks. You've been listening to Erotic Stories, the podcast, with me, Nadine Schmeler.
1: I can certainly tell you what's unerotic. Ring. That's really un-erotic.
0: Do <laughs> you think anyone's Pavlov trained themselves to hear that noise and get <laughs> that, that, wet?
1: There might be. There might be the odd person out there after years and years and years of, like, putting up with it.
0: <laughs> For more episodes of Erotic Stories, visit sbs.com.au slash podcast or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.